scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15 and 35 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of us to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will rise them up at the last day. The word of the Lord. Um. We are in the middle of a sermon series that we are calling At the Table. Again, we're looking at different passages in the Bible where Jesus gathers around the table with people and teaches them about grace. And we see Jesus doing this uh, throughout the Gospels, which are the the four accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry. Um, And when Jesus gathers around tables, what what is so wonderful and and caught people by such surprise is he didn't just gather around tables with those who the religious elite, right? He was gathering actually with people that they thought he shouldn't be gathering with, the ones they called the sinners or the outcast. He was gathering with them, sharing about grace, sharing acceptance um, and love and letting these people experience authentic community. Let's take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come before you this morning, and we are so thankful 
God, for who you are, for this opportunity to, to worship you. And Lord, we do pray that you will do a great work in this place, and even more specifically, a great work in each of our hearts. And Lord, as we gather here today on a beautiful day, uh, we do know that there are those in, in two places especially. We think of the people in Haiti and how the hurricane just swept through there and did so much destruction. Haiti took so many lives. Lord, we pray for those folks that you would just be present as they are, their, your presence would be felt in a comforting way, in a powerful way as they have, have to rebuild again as loved ones are trying to probably reconnect and, and see who's okay. Lord, we don't understand when things like this happen. And not only are lives turned upside down, but so many lives were lost, Lord. But again, we know that you are present there. And we lift those people up to you. And we also pray for the folks in Florida and all the way up the East Coast there as um, those that had to leave their houses and their businesses and, and all that went through. Um, Lord, be with them. And thank you, God, that you promised that you are with us in the storms. And we hold on to that assurance. As we've been singing, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will fill this place. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but I love picnics. I love picnics in a park, in the back of a truck, on a boat, taking a hike. I like picnics, so anywhere you want. But our family has a special picnic that we have every year, and it's in a special place. On Valentine's Day, Tara, my very creative wife, creates this amazing picnic area in our family room. And so it's all laid out on the floor, and there's balloons and streamers. Um, all the food is heart-shaped. I mean, she's going all out. Not only is it heart-shaped, it all has to be, whether it's the food we're eating or what we're drinking, red or pink or white or purple. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Doing that whole thing, she creates it. So it's a sweet food fest for the Thulins uh, on Valentine's Day at our picnic. And today, as Jerry read, we're looking at a picnic that was on a much larger scale. In this reading, it was one of the biggest picnic, I believe, of all time um, in this large field. And the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 that we read about is actually more than that because the 5,000 would be the number of men, the, the households they would count. So that's not including the women and the children that would also be there. And then something that's unique about this miracle is that it is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So today I want to spend some time not only looking at the miracle itself, but also taking time to really focus upon an extreme statement that Jesus makes. First, let's take a closer look at the miracle. Jesus and his 12 disciples, they're out there on the mountainside. This huge crowd is coming their way. And so he looks to one of the disciples named Philip, and he says, hey, Philip, you see these people coming? A lot of them. How are we going to feed them? Philip's like, I don't know. Thanks for asking me. Um, but he's, then he's thinking, you know, eighth-month wages, Philip's saying, wouldn't be enough. That's a lot 
of money at that time to buy enough food to feed everybody. And so the disciples are, are looking at this situation and thinking it's just impossible. And in, in the other gospels, we're told that they're like, Jesus, send them away. Tell them to go find their own food. Don't we have our time with you? We don't, just tell them to go. But as we see time and time again, Jesus has compassion on them. Then a disciple named Andrew. Andrew is this disciple that he seems when he pops up, he's the person that seems to always be introducing people to Jesus. That's what Andrew's known for. Wouldn't that be great to be known for that? You know, when, if you were known for, I'm a person who introduces people to Jesus. Or Scott, I'm a person. Or Luann, I'm a person. You're a person who introduces people to Jesus. Be wonderful. And so Andrew gets this little boy, finds a boy, and he has a little snack lunch. Now, I'm thinking that there's probably other people that might have lunches too at this place. But he has his, and he's willing to share it. But we find out this little boy has five loaves and two fish. Um, so I thought about bringing some, some bread, and that would have been nice, like some fresh bread would have filled the air, right? Should have done that. Next time I'll remember that. I also thought, what about if I brought some fish, you know? Maybe not like the real whole dead smelly fish, but sushi or something like that. Um, but I don't really care for that. So instead of that, I thought, how, what could we do that would could do both of these? Combine the fish and the bread, right? Fish plus bread equals goldfish. So imagine this boy. Again, he comes and he has his snack. And he's saying, Jesus, I got two fish. Put them in there. And then he's saying, I, I have five little loaves of bread. <clears throat> Jesus, that's all I got. I mean, imagine Mark and I then, after this service, you might be already thinking about where you're going to lunch, docks or anywhere, you know, that has food. But we're saying, no, just hang out with us. We have lunch right here. We'll just share this. You'd be like, uh-uh. I'm hungry, and those are just, that's just going to make me want something to drink, and that's not going to work. That's exactly what the disciples were thinking. Hey, this isn't much lunch, Jesus. You do see how many people are here. Again, there's 5,000 families that are seated, and they're hungry. So Jesus tells them to have them sit down uh, in groups. And actually, in, this, in some of the other gospels, it says sit down in groups of 50 um, and I think that's interesting because it's not like just, okay, everybody, we're going to just feed them, just sit where you're at, everybody's good, don't really talk to anybody, but he puts them in these groups. And we value that. He's putting them in a place where there's community, where they're sharing this meal together. And like I shared earlier, that's what we want to be about for the vine. We want to be a, a church, a faith community that is doing life together, following Jesus together. So Jesus then hands this small snack to his disciples. And can you imagine them like, okay, I'm Jesus now. Now I'm the disciples, right? And, and they're like getting this and they're like looking over their shoulder going, uh-uh, it's not gonna work. Not gonna work. But then 
We see what happens. The disciples do exactly what Jesus says. They turn to the crowd and they start feeding. And everyone is amazed because as they're handing these out, it keeps getting more full. And more people are taking it. And it's still, there's more and more as they're handing it out. The baskets continue to fill up. 12 basketfuls. And as they're handing out, that never stops. And see, this is what happens. Jesus keeps filling it up. All the families, everybody there is filled. And then we're told there's 12 of these baskets. We had 12 lined up of leftovers. Jesus not only provides, but he provides abundantly. And I know that's true that I've experienced in my life. He provides abundantly. But as they're seeing all this, I don't know if you caught that part in scripture where it said the crowd was amazed and they wanted to make Jesus king. But he says, you've come to me for the wrong reasons. You want me to give you more of this to eat. You want a quick fix for your problems right now. You want your immediate needs to be met. And Jesus, in a sense, is kind of like saying, put this away. Because you know what? I'm going to use this as a sign and a symbol for you, but I have come to give you so much more. And here's our problem. Before we get too judgmental, we have the tendency, don't we, to do the same thing? You know, Jesus, uh, do need a, a better job. Uh, my marriage, need that to be better, or some friends. And these are all good things, right? When we pray for those, when we ask for that. I mean, these people were asking for food. And it was a good thing. It was their need. But Jesus is saying, you know, and they're almost thinking like, Jesus, if you can do this for me, provide this food, can I keep asking you for things? You'll keep providing them? And, and that's what they do. And, and Jesus, you know, they keep asking for things, Instead of saying, no, Jesus, I want more of you. Think about your prayer life for a second. How much time do you spend asking for things and asking for things and asking for things? As opposed to spending time just with the Lord and saying, you know, this morning, Jesus, I just want to get to know more of you. I want to get to know more of who you are. And, and, you know, even though I have trials and maybe it's a challenging relationship or it's a financial strain or whatever it might be, God, I want to bring those to you. But again, I want to know who you are. Because our, our tendency, my tendency, is to keep wanting more of this. Instead of wanting more Jesus. And so back to this miracle that this huge, you know, crowd was fed. And then we're told that Jesus and the disciples go across the lake and the crowd goes around the lake and, and they find Jesus again. And they're saying, Jesus, you're amazing. You know, thank you again for feeding us and that Amer the miracle you did. And tell us more about this bread from heaven. We want that. And what Jesus says next, I believe, is the best recipe for food that we could ever have. 
Now, again, while all four Gospels record this miracle, again, I think one that shows how important it is, but only in John's do we get this explanation that shows us what it means, the symbolism behind it. What does it mean? Why did he do it? And Jesus explained, I fed everybody with physical bread to show that I am the one that can truly meet their deepest needs, our deepest needs. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And for us to get a better understanding of that statement, I believe we have to understand what bread signified during ancient times, um, especially to the Israelites. Because when you said bread during those times, it meant to them life itself. Because at their meals, they didn't always have meat. Like, it seems like we always have meat, potatoes, and some bread, and salad, and whatever else. They didn't have that. Therefore, the bread was kind of at the heart of the meals. And it was symbolic, again, for life itself. And I, I think there's two historical references uh, for the Israelites that, that made this true. So when Jesus is saying, I am the bed of life, for them, when they hear that, it's invoking the history about manna. That God, when he brought the Israelites out of bondage and led them through the wilderness, they're so thankful for that. But then they get there and they're like, we're starving. You know, feed us. And so God began to feed them. In the morning, he provided manna, which was bread that came from heaven, that fell six days a week. And it felt like frost on the ground to where they could go and they could gather it up. It almost had even a sweet taste to it. But God would send only enough for that day so that they would have to trust that he would provide again the next day and each day following. So again, the, the manna, the bread, it was for them substance for life. It tasted good. It strengthened them. And it was just life-giving. And it was something that they could rely on. Secondly, in the, the, another reference in the Old Testament is in the tabernacle, which was their place of worship. And a key place, a piece of furniture, I mean, in, in the tabernacle was the altar of the showbread. And it wasn't a big table like they would have the, the sacrifices on, but rather it was a smaller table. And it had 12 baskets that represented the 12 tri tribes of Israel and where the priests would eat at. And the bread there would, uh, hopefully, just the aroma would be amazing. Of course, it was fighting against the sacrifice smell, too. But um, it was there, and it was there to symbolize life. You know, even today, when we take someone um, out to eat um, or, or to be in our home, uh, like we're going to be doing next Sunday. Uh, so instead of being here for uh, community worship, we're going to meet in five different homes for Brunch Church. We're going to meet around tables. And around these tables, we're hoping that friendships grow and that you could experience community and grow closer to the Lord. And when you invite people in, whether you're hosting a brunch church or just to your home or you go out to eat with them after church today, that's a sign of friendship. But in those days, when you did that and had someone come to your home, it was even a more significant sign of friendship, when you invited someone in and you broke bread and you shared that with them. And so for God to have the bread as a, as a part of that in the sanctuary, it's as if God is saying, I don't want to just be your God, but I want to be your friend too. 
So bread represented not only it was life-giving and strength, but also represented love and fellowship and friendship. So Jesus is saying, while I miraculously gave you this physical bread, there is a bigger picture here. I came to give you the bread of life. So what is this bread of life? In verse 27, Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of, God, the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, will give you. So bread represents life to them. And here Jesus saying it represents eternal life. Again, it gives us physical life. But Jesus is talking here about something much deeper, about eternal life. And then the question becomes, what is eternal life? It's one of the themes throughout the book of John. And, and we want to invite you. We said at the back of the guest center, our place things, you can sign up for thing, um, to go to Brunt's Church or any of some of the other things we have going on. But also, we have Bibles back there. And we want to invite you, if you don't have a Bible, to come back and, and to receive that as a gift from us. And as we've been in the book of John um, two weeks ago and today, uh, the book of John is a great place. If you've never started reading the Bible, it's a great place to start about reading about who Jesus is and why he came. And again, this bread of life is a metaphor for eternal life. And when we hear those words of eternal life, you start thinking, okay, life that goes on forever, and yes, it does. But there's also some other deeper meaning to it as well. In the Greek, the first of all I want to talk about is it's a quality of life. In the Greek, there's two words that are translated life. One is bios, just your physical existence. And the other one is zoe, which means a quality of life. Not just your physical existence. And I remember when I was a kid, I was flying to Indiana with my mom. And I think it was one of the first times I can remember flying. And so we're on the plane and we're going and I just thought it was awesome, right? You're just a little kid taking it all in. And this was back in the days. How cool is this? You can't do this anymore. We're like, I don't know how far up. We're cruising along. We've been flying for a little while. I got to go up and meet the pilots, right? You can't do that now. But I got to go up and meet them. I got a little flying pin. I'm loving that. Then the next thing you know, I'm on the aisle. So I can see out both windows. I'm checking things out. But what was awesome about being on the aisle, especially when my mom fell asleep, is the stewardess or the flight attendants kept coming up and down the aisle. And I'm like, awesome. They're giving out snacks. This is, you'd have to buy them either at that time. So I'm getting snacks and Coke and just loving this. And then I do, my mom, mom tells the story, she'll say, and then I woke up and I look over at you and I said, you had your feet up against the person seat in front of you, your chair back, you know, drinking and eating all these sweets. And I look at her, I said something to the sin of, Man, this is living. <laughs> you know? Now, I wasn't talking about bios, like, oh, this is living. I'm breathing. I'm doing that. I didn't know what zoe meant. I hadn't taken Greek yet at that age or whatever. But that's more what I was talking about. This is exciting. This is thrilling. I've never experienced this in life before. So that zoe is that, that quality of life that makes life worth living. It's living life with joy and passion. It's feeling useful. It's feeling loved. It's having a purpose beyond just existing. I believe it's something we all desire. So first of all, eternal life, when you think about it, it's a quality of life. And then secondly, 
It's not something that you have to wait for until you die. It starts now. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. We need to be in the presence of God. We need to enjoy the peace of God now, every day. Again, not just something that we wait for. John Wesley, a great Christian leader, once said, many Christians have just enough religion to be miserable. This was said by a remarkable man who made an impact for Christ on two continents, was an amazing Christian leader. And what I think he was getting is that most Christians live with just enough Jesus to have that fire insurance for their fears for when they die, but they're still living miserably because they're carrying their own burdens by themselves each day. And in a sense, they're adding on Christianity as, oh, I got to carry this now as an extra burden as well. And, but no, Jesus didn't come to be an extra an additional burden to you. As we were singing in one of the worship songs, he came to be a delight. He came to strengthen you. He came to nourish you. Again, whoever comes to me will not go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Again, he's not talking about physical hunger. Now, of course, it doesn't mean when you become a Christian that you don't have to ever eat again, right? <laughs> that wouldn't be good, especially living here in Austin. Um, love the different places and to eat. And Tara and I, this, uh, just on Friday, at Veracruz, anybody eat one of those trailers? The, we were put onto their tacos. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. It was awesome. But in here, Jesus isn't talking about physical hunger. He's talking about something more. He's talking about something even deeper than that. A deeper emptiness than physical hunger. A deeper need than physical hunger. And perhaps if we're honest, my guess is that everyone in this room, we want to find some way to move from just existing to really living the life that God wants us to live and we can in him. Because if we're just existing, it goes to that old saying, ah, oh, thank God it's Friday. I made it through another week. Too bad the weekend's too short. Let's do it again. Aggies won. Gig them. Got to go to Monday again. It's coming up. If we're honest, we want something more. We want something that gives us meaning. Again, we don't want to just live. I believe, and those of you know, and those who I don't know, I can't wait to get to know you, but I believe we want to make a difference in people's lives. Maybe you have just a heart that wants to, to work for social justice, to get something accomplished, to have a family, maybe to love someone. It's moving from ex just existing to having a full life. And later in John's gospel, in verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. And have it abundantly, a full life. Jesus says, if you rest your heart on things that will just spoil, they'll never be able to satisfy your spiritual hunger. You'll stay hungry all the time. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian theologian and author, he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Road Robe. Uh, he says it this way. It'll be up on the screen. It's a longer quote. Most people, if they had really learned 
to look into their hearts would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that, that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, when we think of a foreign country, we take up some subject that excites us. Our longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at and in that first moment of longing which just fades away in reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and the scenery may be excellent and chemistry may be an interesting job. But something has evaded us. So again, when Jesus is talking about eternal life, first, it's a quality of life, and secondly, it's something that we can have now. And then third, notice this, and this is so important. It's not actually something that Jesus gives you. It is Jesus himself. This heavenly bread, this eternal thing, is not a thing, it is a person. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I can be the centerpiece of your life. I can be your food and give you strength. And like manna that that they would gather every day, feed on me and you can truly live and not just exist. When Jesus is saying, I am it's kind of like when you get a, a text or an email and you're, you're like, I wonder if there's more emotions behind this. I wonder, were, like, were they smiling? Were they crying? Are they angry when they write this? You know, you're thinking about all that. Well, if scripture could just jump out and Jesus were speaking and saying, I am, it'd almost be like he's yelling. It's emphatic, I am. He's saying that he is God, that he is the divine truth. I am the person that you can know And I am the person you can love. And if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Friends, it's something that we don't earn. We could never be good enough to earn it. Therefore, the gift of salvation is through grace. It's by faith. It is something that you receive as a gift. Friends, my prayer for you this morning is that you will come back to the one who loves you most. That you will know that Jesus Christ has died and he has risen and he says to you this morning, come to me, not to just exist, but to really live. I am enough.